Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower. And as usual, I'm joined by my own cotton companion and colleague, Beck Barnes. Well, Beck, our CropScan AgriPort consultants told us this week that two words can sum up cotton production right now, and that's hot and dry. Man, I, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt they said that. I got the scorched grass to prove it. I, I don't know if I told you I laid sod here in East Memphis uh, back in March or April, I forget. But anyhow, yeah, I, I told somebody it's like the first time seeing my baby get sick. It just hurts my heart seeing my side get burned up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been hot and dry. I know our farmers here in the Mid-South have been uh, can attest to that. I mean, Crimea River, I, I got some grass I'm trying to take care of. But uh, yes, the, the consultants are accurate, hot and dry. Hot and dry. I think I think to a to a person, they all said, send rain we need rain yeah p.s we need rain yeah you know <laughs> it's uh you know so yeah i mean it, it is that time of that time of year and you know we would talk about crop progress but you know usda took a day off this week uh which kind of threw all the reports a bit off schedule but you know really based on what we saw last week cotton planting should be basically complete or at least in the high 90 percentile of completion so now with planting done, the focus is shifting to weed control, to fertilization, and insect scouting. And today we're going to visit with two extension weed specialists, Larry Steckel from Tennessee and Tom Barber from Arkansas. Two of the best. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the challenges, some options, new technologies, and some possible solutions with some older chemistries. Yeah, that's right. And I know you got out there as we're talking about this hot and dry weather, you got out, uh, it's kind of summer field day season for you. And so you ventured out into that heat and, and talked to those two fellows. So we appreciate that, Jim. Uh, and I know uh, the interview, uh, the interviews you did with them are gonna be great. So um, before we go any further though, uh, the good folks at First Fire Safety, one of our monthly sponsors have a message they wanna share with all of our listeners right now. First Fire Safety is a fire protection company based out of Austin, Texas. We have developed a foam fire suppression system specifically designed to protect the John Deere Round Bale Cotton Harvester. We install this system and train operators all over the world. Be fire ready with a First Fire Safety fire suppression system. Call today for more information and pricing. 512-777-1555. So thanks again to First Fire Safety for that timely message. Well, before we get to uh, to today's discussion, and, and Beck, thanks for pointing out it is summer field day uh, time. And, and yes, I will be out at another one over in Arkansas tomorrow uh, when, where the temperatures are spo supposed to be over 100. So I look, I'm really looking forward to it in multiple multiple perspectives. Yeah. But, but anyway, there are, we do have a couple items regarding some of the better known cotton sustainability programs that we want to share with you. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Uh, yeah, both uh, both these programs are, are uh, worthwhile and, and great programs. First one we want to tell you all about, you probably heard us talk about before, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol has been approved as a standard for sustainable cotton by a German organization. Bear with me while I try to pronounce this properly. Jim and I drew straws on who was going to get to try to do this. <laughs> the German organization is, is named Siegel Klarheit. Ooh, that was, that was very good. <laughs> yeah, God bless you. Siegel Klarheit, um, clearing the trust is as cleared the trust protocol for use 
uh, by members of the Partnership for Sustainable Textiles to use the trust protocol to kind of calculate their share of sustainable cotton. And we joke about the name of this organization, but it's a big deal. I mean, this is what the Cotton Trust Protocol is all about. It's kind of establishing these metrics for sustainable uh, growth that uh, uh, buyers and suppliers around the world uh, will recognize. And so they're succeeding. It's a big win for the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. The Partnership for Sustainable Textiles uh, was founded in October of 2014 to help improve social and ecological conditions within global textile supply chains. We know cotton has a great story to tell uh, in that regard. The Partnership for Sustainable Textiles implementation framework and reporting format for corporate due diligence allows member companies to indicate how much cotton they source and how much of it is sustainable or organic cotton certified by recognized standards. In addition to the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, other organizations recognized as standards include Better Cotton, Australian MyBMP, Cotton Made in Africa, Fair Trade Cotton, and Cotton Connect. It's a it's a it's an ever growing list of uh, affiliations that the the Trust Protocol is is building at this point. And uh, you know, I think we reported several weeks ago that uh, that the membership they had pretty much doubled their membership. Uh, or registration people who are involved with the program over the past year. So they're, uh, they're really continuing to do great things and, and get this program up and running. Yeah, they're getting it done. Absolutely. Well, and at the same time, BASF's E3 sustainable cotton program has reported a 25% increase in grower enrollment from, from 2020 to 2021. According to the company, more than 900 growers enrolled the E3 program by registering their cotton from their 2021 growing season. Now, growers who are part of the E3 program commit to tracking eight sustainability measures on all eligible cotton acres, ranging from water use and pesticide management to soil conservation and greenhouse gas emissions reduction. And there's a series of digital platforms that allows the cotton that growers grow to be traced from an individual cotton bale in their field all the way to the end consumer. Now, earlier this year, the E3 Cotton Program announced a collaboration with the United Nations-hosted Conscious Fashion and Lifestyle Network for a series of gatherings in New York City throughout 2022 and 2023. And during these meetings, E3 is going to join industry stakeholders, UN representatives, and news media to explore how the fashion and lifestyle industries are uniquely positioned to collaborate and engage on sustainable development goals. And we know this is something E3 has been very active in. Uh, Beck, you and I have both seen it uh, in action in working with, uh, with media in the, techs, in, the, uh, in the fashion industry and other areas affiliated with, uh, with cotton and with fabrics to, uh, to tell cotton's story. Yeah, yeah, they've done, E3's really done some uh, innovative stuff uh, around this program and marketing. The, the strides that farmers, cotton farmers in this country have made towards sustainability. I know I've talked about it, I think, on this podcast before, but I know I have on this podcast before. But yeah, they, to, the, to the point that they brought a whole bunch of sourcing fashion forward designers and, and material sourcing professionals out of Brooklyn and San Francisco and brought them right down there on the farm around Natchez, Mississippi a couple of years ago and showed them firsthand like, hey, hey you know, these farmers aren't just uh, hayseed country folk. I mean, these are very uh, uh, technologically sound and sustainably sound uh, operations out here. Uh, so anyhow, yeah, congrats to the folks at E3 for uh, 
increase in grower enrollment. We, we hope that both they and Cotton Trust Protocol uh, enlist as many farmers as they can. Good, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and shift our focus over to weed, weed management at this point. Uh, University of Tennessee recently hosted its annual Weed Field Day at the West Tennessee Research and Extension Center in Jackson, Tennessee. And Dr. Larry Steckel used the event to highlight some of the ongoing research for weed control, both with and without the auxin products, with and without glyphosate, uh, taking a look at where some of the newer technologies may fit, and also let's take a look at some novel approaches and mixes that may have some potential for, uh, for, to help with weed management. And Dr. Tom Barber, as we discussed, crossed the river from Arkansas to join in and share his thoughts with the attendees. Uh, after the event, I was able to visit with both Larry and Tom to talk about some of their research findings uh, about some confirmed and, and, and suspected resistance, uh, some potential legal obstacles that could impact current weed programs, and more. Well, we're here in, uh, in Jackson, Tennessee at the University of Tennessee Weed Field Day, uh, which seems to be a tradition for us now. Uh, visiting with Dr. Larry Steckel, who's a University of Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist, and Dr. Tom Barber, our special guest, the uh, Arkansas Extension Weed Scientist who crossed the river to, to help out today. So gentlemen, thanks for taking time after a, uh, a busy morning to, uh, to join us. No problem. Sure, thank yeah. you. Okay, well, first of all, I'm gonna start with the, the easy question. How's cotton crop looking in, in each of your states right now? What are you hearing? Uh, for us, I think, uh, you know, we're finally turning a corner. We kind of had a rough start again this year just with uh, the rains and the weather and uh, fields that we can plant versus uh, wait on. And so our crop is generally behind. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true for all our crops, though. And then, uh, you know, we, we hear about it in, in other blogs maybe or uh, just in the media, the thrips have been real bad this year. It's right. been hard, and so a crop that's behind, and the weather's not been great, and you throw other stresses on, and it's just been it's been a pretty tough start overall, I think, for us. Uh, but we're we're about there. We're about turning the corner now. Okay. Larry, what about Tennessee? What what are you seeing over here? We're really similar on our side of the river, uh, and uh, in that, uh, uh, really got a slow start. Uh, things really got planted in a hurry. And then we had a lot planted right before that Memorial Day weekend that we got winter for about the third time. <laughs> and we had a lot of replant, a lot of, lot of stress on whether you could keep the stand or not keep the stand. Uh, most of those decisions have been made. Some of them replanted soybeans and, and some folks, because they had it booked at a real good price, just, just rode with the horse they got. So, right. uh, but I think with the weather we're getting now, it's really, really, in, in a, in a really growing out of a lot it's of those early It's going to be in catch-up mode pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, last year at this time, Larry, I think one of the, uh, the key phrases I kept hearing you use in your presentations was metabolic resistance. And I'm kind of guessing that's what we've come to understand is normal yes. at, this, at this point with, uh, with what we've seen and some of the new potential resistance uh, that's starting to appear. Uh, it, it, it really is. And, uh, and what there's a lot understood about, about specific site resistance that's been going on for years and that's pretty much all we've ever known but this metabolic resistance i think has been building up in the background over years over mm -hmm. a lot of the herbicides we're using 
to the point now it's it's starting to raise its ugly head. And I know the folks in Arkansas have been, been ahead of us on this as far as figuring out what's going on. Easy. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about, uh, they got smarter people over there than we do. It, 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 it's, it, it takes some pretty good research to figure a lot of that stuff out. But uh, I think yeah. I've been trying to draw from what they're doing because you know we're seeing some issues here with, with things like dual not lasting quite as long as it did a few years ago. Right. And that's metabolic. Mm -hmm. um, this dicamba resistance is probably metabolic. Uh, it sure looks like it, just just from my observation in the field. Um, and uh, I think a lot of those things are linked, uh, and it has huge ramifications for, for how we go forward uh, as far as control. Because even if you bring out a new herbicide mode of action, <laughs> there's no no guarantee we're not going to see maybe a little bit of resistance right at the start with Sure, it. sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's no doubt on our side of the river, too. I mean, we're, we're dealing with the same, and we've we've been using the same herbicides for how many years now? Oh, decades. It's decades. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. even, so it, it's understandable that you, you know, we're just not going to have that response as, as we used to. But yeah, we're, we've got some pigweed populations in Northeast Arkansas that uh, there's not a whole lot of herbicides we have left available to use on. And right. so we really have to know, and that's what we stress to, uh, especially our cotton and bean guys, is you really have to know what pigweed population you're dealing with in order to develop a pretty good program. We can go out with a dual uh, or dual metribuzin combination, which in a lot of fields would work great, but if you've got metabolic resistance, then the, the dual component or warrant component is just not gonna be as, as good uh, mm -hmm. on those populations or BPOs, you BPOs, know, yeah. Valor, yeah. the sulfentrazones, and so, uh, we always preach, a, and that was kind of the message on a lot of our tour stops today, was the multiple re residual, mm -hmm. multiple active ingredient approach uh, to kind of counteract some of that metabolic resistant issue, resistance mm -hmm. issue that we're dealing with. Well, it, it, it sort of brings up to my next question. You know, we, we did get the new oxen labels late last year, uh, but it always seems like they're still under the gun at this point, even though it's for a you know, certain number of years, who knows at this point. Now we've got reviews coming up on Diron and Cotteran that, see, that could eliminate or severely reduce their use in cotton. Um, one of the trials you had out there, Larry, sort of looked at the, uh, the worst case scenario if these products, uh, including glufosinate, uh, get lost there. What's, what's that recommendation look like? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to maybe visualize it, but basically it's uh, living with a lot of pigweed in my cotton field is what it comes down to. Uh, mm -hmm. We just don't, when we lose diuron, the tools uh, it's to the point where we're living with a lot of weeds uh, I'm not sure how we're gonna raise a crop without without some of those herbicides and you said you're already kind of seen some of that in, in your in northeast Arkansas we are and you know a lot of our growers in that area have hand weeding crews on the payroll basically every yeah. year to help remove escapes which I mean it is a good practice to do that but it's just that adds another expense to your cost of production. And so we definitely don't want to do that on every acre. Right now it's field by field basis. But, sure. But uh, I don't think we can effectively manage like that on every acre. So, you know, we really, 
and I, and I don't want to get too far off into the rice here, but we've seen this before in our rice crop because we've got barnyard grass that's resistant to just about every herbicide we have mm -hmm. available. And and that's where we're at, what Larry just said. I mean, there are a lot of our recommendations, two residuals up front, 14 to 21 days, you're coming back with more residuals no matter what. You know, it, you've got to put it out uh, in order to get a, ahead of some of the barnyard grass populations that we have. So. You know, I don't want it to get there in cotton. I think in some fields we're already there yeah. and we're already making that recommendation, but mm -hmm. it's getting harder and harder because the products are more and more limited. And if we lose <laughs> diuron and especially diuron, you know, cotteran, I just, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have an answer right now yeah. about what we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you also, being on your side of the river, are, seeing, are starting to see early signs of glufosinate resistance you said I right. in just in pockets at right. this point um what are you recommending to manage that right now well so for the most part the populations we've identified as glufosinate resistant are sensitive to the auxin chemistry now and so mm -hmm. i think a lot of those growers have shifted to an enlist based system or an extend extend flex type system and, and they're managing it with, uh, with Dicamba or 2,4-D right now. We do have some populations though that are resistant to those, but, uh, or that appear to have increased tolerance anyway, we'll <laughs> say that. I don't know that we've officially documented that yet, but uh, on the glufosinate, that is not metabolic. I think uh, we just had a student publish a paper and uh, that's, I think it was making 83 extra copies of the target mm -hmm. site, so it's, uh, very resistant. We're not. We're not going to overcome that with the uh, rate, rate of glufosinate. We had some fear it jumped the river uh, last year because we had some pretty sketchy fields, uh, and I was tickled to death because uh, uh, we got good control in the greenhouse. And I called Tom up actually after we got the results, and and, and in the greenhouse, Liberty should work like a champ at right. really even low rates, and they weren't killing it at big rates in the greenhouse. So we didn't have anything like that. Thank God. Uh, but as the pigweed pollen flies, I, I'm worried. <laughs> you don't want that west to east wind, no, way, right? No, we want good east wind. <laughs> <laughs> now, several new products or new formulations were also mentioned out uh, in the presentation today. Something about we got a new warrant formulation, uh, bringing looking at Invoke again for for nut sedge and morning glory. Looking at Staple back as a pre. Uh, I think last year, Larry, we kind of talked about anything that you could pull out of the shed that, that might still have some life, and it looks like you're kind of doing that a little bit. And, and we are, and it kind of like any port in the storm is, is right. kind of what I look at, and like even like some of those staples where we put staple pre um, post, I was mostly dialing that in for teaweed control because I get lots of calls on teaweed and copper leaf, and it helps a lot on those. But I, there's less pigweed uh, coming up when it was, you know, I had pretty good, it was only maybe 50, 60 percent control with, with Roundup Extendamax. Mm -hmm. I added, added, staple pre and then come back post and and we had better control so it, if you put staple over the top post i'm pretty sure most of them are going to live but you get a little bit of control pre with it and and i know the boys in north alabama and in the tennessee valley use it pretty regular pre-emergence and uh, and i know in south georgia they do too and i always kind of scratch my head because it seemed like staples just so much yesterday's news on pigweed but i think from a pre-emergent standpoint and you pick up a little bit and uh, we need every little bit we can get now yeah definitely now you also talked about you were using the residua in a break in conjunction with fertilizer or impregnating the fertilizer yes. with it how does that work so um basically um it's it's the 
it's 3.2 ounces of Zidua is what it is, um, and, uh, and they make it into a slurry, and they'll put it out for whatever the blend the farmer's using. Most of them are putting on 200, 250 pounds of, mm -hmm. of fertilizer. It's usually the blend. It's boron. It's uh, ammonium sulfate. It's, it's whatever they're using for their blend. And um, spreading it out there, and it's a way to use pyroxosulfone in cotton. Um, and we, I know I have a, I don't know, Tom maybe can do better in Arkansas. I can't get anybody to use a hood anymore and pull them out of the weeds. <laughs> this is the closest we can get to a lay-by. Uh, and a really a heavy dew activates it. Yeah. Uh, I've had, I was surprised at how little water it takes to get it activated. Um, so I, I'm really high on it. So the folks from Flor from that make Florida don't break, Seapro uh, folks wanted to look at it with, with, with that. So we're looking at it. It, it, with uh, with Fluoridone. Okay. It sort of uh, makes it a fertilizer a little expensive this year, though, right? Yeah, the carrier. Water's a lot cheaper carrier right now. And that was a call I got. How how low can I go on the fertilizer? So... <laughs> that just sort of seems to be the standard question for everybody this year. Uh, Tom, you also talked about some new technology that BASF has coming hopefully if all registrations fall in place for next year with uh, was the XN Flex and the uh, the Elite 27 herbicide, right? Yeah, so we we showcase some of Larry's plots in that, and I have that across the river in some of my research plots as well. As well, and I guess if there's something new in cotton from a technology standpoint, that's definitely it. But it's still old herbicide chemistry, and we've used that type of chemistry in corn. Uh, and actually, on our side of the river, if we're spraying it post, we get variable results on pigweed. But as a pre-emerge or as a residual. We still get good control of pigweed, especially when we're able to mix it with with uh, a photosynthetic inhibitor like diuron or cotteran or something like that. So mm -hmm. I, I'm encouraged. I think that uh, I mean it, it's a it's a system that we can develop a good pigweed program around, uh, especially if we lose diuron and cotteran. <laughs> yeah. We're really going to be looking heavily to it. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, we'll just have to figure out what we're going to do from a post-emergent standpoint. It's still you know, with that technology, like I said, it's good, but I, I think we're going to have to evaluate what posts we're going to use with that because as good as it can be from a pre-emerge standpoint or residual, we still eventually are going to have pigweed we probably have to deal with in, in a wide row cotton crop. Yeah, so, so basically the, the takeaway from all this is be flexible. Right. Yeah, be, ready to, so. uh, be ready to adjust yeah. on a dime Yeah. pretty much. have to on technology and, and, and any of these herbicides at the drop of a hat, it seems like we can lose them. It just... It, you know, evolution, you see it in history books, and it's dinosaurs, and it's supposed to be slow. It's fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've seen here in the Mid-South, up and down the Mississippi River. It's fast when it comes to herbicide resistance. Yeah. It seems like five, six, seven years. And, and That's about all you get. It's about all you get. Yep. Well, gentlemen, thank you for taking time. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's been a nice warm morning. A pretty good crowd, Larry. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm attributing that to Tom. It is. His yeah. presence I, I, completely. I had him on the announcement. There's no doubt. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks a lot yeah, for joining you. us, and uh, well, I'll be in touch with both of you again soon. I'm pretty sure. Sounds Thank good. you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. All right, so that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, special thanks to Larry Steckel and Tom Barber for taking time to visit with us. We want to thank, uh, as well, First Fire Safety for sponsoring this episode. And as always, a big thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word, tell your neighbors and friends about us, and here's where, they, here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion 
or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues, world headquarters for Maestro Media Worldwide in Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, his name's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in a few weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe and stay cool. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farmer. Yeah, he